welcome. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics that the Book of Acts Church followed, and we follow their example of following it. I guess we're followers. We believe that there's something more to being the church than what's been taught and what we've been told. And that's why the porch was created in January of uh, 2000. The idea was to restore the priesthood of the believer and to regain the world-shaking influence that the early church had. And I believe that in doing so, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created. Matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say is that entity that man has created must go away and the real church must step forth. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. It's still available to you if you want it. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button. Or you can write us directly at the porch, lowercase, one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you have a need, you have praise reports, prayer requests, whatever it is, let us know. If you want to support what we do, go to firefalltalkradio.com, bottom of the page, there are ways to do that. And we appreciate each and every one of you that do support us. We know that things are tough, and over the last uh, year or so, for many, things have gotten tighter, but we definitely appreciate you, and I try to pray for each and every one of you, whether I know you by name or not, to thank you for supporting what we do. You're not just supporting the porch and the Bible study, you're supporting SRT, Firefall, and all the things that we would like to do for the kingdom of God in tearing down the kingdom of darkness and setting the captives free. I want to welcome all of our listeners of the various streaming platforms. If you want to let us know where you're listening to us from, reach out to us, let us know. We always start out with praise reports and prayer requests. I know some of you don't care about that. Why? I don't know, but that's okay. If you don't want to be a part of the community aspect of the porch, go right to the sound of the shofar and into the Bible study. We start out praise reports, prayer requests, never enter his courts without praise and thanksgiving. So I praise him. I praise him as the great I am, the creator of the universe. Praise him as our Abba Father, our Daddy, our Papa. When we were unlovable, he loved us. When we were far away, he drew us near. And I pray each and every day that he is found while he still may be found, You that you would seek him while he can still be found. If you don't know him as Abba, as Father, as Papa, Daddy, ask him, speak to him. The Holy Spirit brings to you the spirit of adoption. I pray that you would receive that. So, Father, we're thankful. I thank you for loving me, for saving me, for redeeming me for my salvation almost 33 years ago, for giving me back my family, that which I threw away and almost destroyed. But your love was greater, and your grace is still amazing. Lord, I thank you for the blood, your blood, that you could pay my debts and pay all of our debts so that we could be reconciled to the Father. You did what you did, knowing full well the pain and what you had to endure. And you did it for the joy of knowing what it would do. So thank you. Thank you for being alive. The tomb is empty. The cross is bare. You sit next to the right hand of the Father. And we get to sit with you in the heavenly places. I praise you for that. I praise you for the provisions and the protection and everything that you've done for us in sending your Holy Spirit for the dreams and the visions, living out Joel 2.28 each and every day. I must admit, some of the things you're showing me are disturbing. They're not happy dreams, but I know you are preparing me and you're encouraging me to encourage and teach your children. I praise him for his healing virtues, which are still available to each and every one of us that wants it. Do not go a day without praising him for his healing virtues, without believing and receiving, because he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. That hasn't changed. 
I praise him for being a new creation, for being born again, having my name written in the Lamb's book of life, that I can stand before him without fear. Perfect love has cast out that fear because I'm not going to be judged by the law. I'm being judged by him and his blood. I thank you that you're getting ready to return. We long for your return. We long for you to fix everything that's broken. But until then, we will tarry. We will occupy and we will pray. We pray, Psalm 122, verse 6, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And Lord, I love your city. I love your nation. I love your people. I love your sheep. I pray for the leadership of Israel. I personally am not enamored with them, but that's not my call. But you're in control. You've always been in control, Dad. You've always been in control. When Israel went captive into Babylon, you were in control. When Jerusalem and the temple burned to the ground, you were in control. You're in control now. The enemy cannot do anything unless you allow it. And we trust you. We praise you, but we pray for America. We pray that you'd shed your grace upon us, that you'd lead us out of the darkness. And while you're tearing down, rooting up, and rebuilding, that you would protect those of us that have been loyal, that have not compromised, that have not turned back to Egypt, nor cut a deal with the devil. So forgive us. We pray for the people all around the world that are fighting back, that are standing up, that are pushing back against the tyranny and the the things that are happening. Protect your children, Lord. Show the world that you are still the great I am. You are El Shaddai. You are the God of justice, but also the God of mercy. Pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice. We pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. Forgive us for what we do to your creation. We pray for the missing and exploited children and men and women, the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking. Father, I don't understand how Satan has got away with, gotten away with this for so long. But I pray that my brothers and sisters who know how to pray would begin to pray, would push back, would stand up and intercede. We pray for our brothers and sisters, both Jew and believer, who are being slaughtered for their faith, persecuted for their faith. We know that with the coming Antichrist, persecution will increase, and we are in those days. But we believe that that which restrains him, your Holy Spirit, is inside of us. So we stand strong. We stand side by side, shield to shield. We pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing. Let's get back to our divine design, brothers and sisters. Let's get healthy. Part of what we're dealing with is our fault. We haven't eaten right. We haven't taken care of ourselves. We haven't done what our body requires us to do. And I praise him that I am back in that groove and able to do it three weeks now, three weeks into getting healthier, three weeks into battling the debilitating fatigue, which has essentially shut me down for the last seven or eight months. But I'm standing strong, and I pray that you will too. I pray that you'll speak to yourselves, speak to your DNA, tell them to go back to their divine design. This is not name it and claim it. This is speaking to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with his word and his will. So I'm praying that each and every one of you that are sick, that are injured in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, be healed right now in Yeshua's name. Let his spirit fall upon you. Let the chains be broken. Be set free. I pray for protection, that Psalm 91 covering, upon each and every one of us, that we would walk in this fallen world totally confident that he is the shield about us, the glory and the lifter of our head. I pray for inspiration for the fire of the Holy Spirit and the, and the clarity of, of mind to be able to do everything we need to do that the doors would open, that those that have been blessed would be a blessing, that we'd be able to be a blessing, that the, the flow of his blessings would come to us and then to others, 
So we're praying and we're asking you to pray with us right now for each of every one of us, for our needs, our basic everyday needs, our personal needs. And I pray right now you join with me to pray that we get out of debt, get out of the grip of Egypt, get out of the grip of this fallen world system, so that if, as they're predicting and the, and the uh, chairman of Chase Bank said, if there is a catastrophic collapse, we won't be caught in it. Because we'll be living in faith, we'll be walking in faith, and we'll be free of the hold of Hasatan and the financial system that he has created. So let's be blessed. Join with us. Believe with us for the flow of the blessings that we have claimed to do everything we need to do. Pray for our lost family members. We were given one commission. Go and make disciples. Why shouldn't we start with our family? Why shouldn't we start with our close friends? Telling them, being a living witness to them, and praying them into the kingdom. And maybe they won't hear you, but I pray that he'll send somebody that they'll listen to, even if it's an angel in the night. So I pray for each and every one of our family members whose names are not yet written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Pray for each member of the porch community. Maybe you're not officially a part of it. You don't send us emails or uh, praise reports. You don't support us. But if you want to be a part of our community, just let us know. I'll add you to the list. I try to pray for everybody that I can remember each and every day. Folks, that's what I do. My wife can tell you I'll be in here for praying hours at a time. My brother in SRT and and in uh, my walk, Larry, we pray hours every day. The only other um, one I have is from Kim in Fort Mitchell. She says, I praise him for my salvation and my recovery. She's thankful for her children, her family, for his protection over her, for guidance and everything he provides for them. She's praying for a dog, Bruno. Something's not right. I've been trading trading messages with her. He's whining uh, for no reason. He um, fell down the stairs the other day. She said he's been a little clumsy lately. She's asking you, Lord, to show her what's wrong with Bruno so that she can help him. She's asking for prayer to protect her children, her husband, and her mother. Save them and deliver us, she says. Continue to provide for us and favor us. She's asking for help for her son, Maurice, and her daughter, London, through what they're going through. Protect innocent souls. And she says, guide me, Father, in Jesus' name. So there we have it. You knew these things even before we asked. So we pray you have your way with us, that you protect the technology, that you hear us, that you speak to us, and that this night you break through, break through the walls of somebody's heart, break through the shadowy cloudiness in their minds, set them free, and maybe you'll lead somebody who needs a Savior, and they'll come to realize at the end of the time here on the porch that they need you. So bless us, protect us, do as you will, Holy Spirit. I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about upper room integrity. If you remember last week, and I, you can always listen to a Bible study all by itself. But sometimes, many times of late, I do them, I build upon each one. So I would suggest you don't start in the middle that you hear the last one. But I told you that I was inspired out of John fourteen thirty, where the Lord said to the disciples, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Basically, he was saying the ruler of the world, Satan, who is the God of this world, has no claim over him, no power, nor anything he could use against them. And, of course, he was talking about going to the cross. 
and in getting you prepared for the days ahead and even trying to teach you spiritual warfare. It isn't just about the power. It isn't just about the, the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit have to be present, but once the enemy knows you walk in the power of the Creator, he's not going to come at you in a power-on-power confrontation. Now, he may send the little demons to do that, but he won't, and the higher-ranking ones won't. They won't come at you with power. They'll come at you with deceit and deception. They'll look for the opening in your armor. They'll look for the aspect of your life that gives them ground, gives them authority. So that's why we're talking about upper room integrity. Something happens when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you. Spirit of truth. It brings his character. It brings his nature into you. When the Lord said he has nothing in me, he's talking about being sinless. Satan had no aspect of his life. Which means the Lord yielded to being crucified. Satan had no power over that. No power over him. He voluntarily allowed them to nail him to the cross, shed every drop of blood for us, and die. He did it in obedience to the Father for us. So the ruler of this world, Hasatan, was not in control of that event on Calvary. The cross was not an accident. The Lord was not a helpless victim. He was the unblemished lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was yielding to what was about to happen. But see, he had talked about it in John twelve thirty one. Now the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. When he allowed them to do what they did, when he willingly... Though he could have called legions of angels to stop it, though he could have said, no, I don't want to do this. At that moment, he broke Satan's power. And then when he gave us his Holy Spirit that abides in us, and remember, the word abide means takes permanent residence. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is always there. Whose Holy Spirit is, it's the Father Proceeds from the Father, sent through the Son, inside of us. Ephesians 2, 2. We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Every time you complain about what you see on television or the internet, remember who the prince of the power of the air is. According to 2 Corinthians 4, 4 whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. No relationship, no sin, no nature, nothing of Satan was in him. He wasn't subject to death because he had sinned. He was subject to death because we had sinned, because Adam had set things in motion. And in doing so, he gave Satan a form of sovereignty over man. Yes, the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, was still in control. He's still the great I Am. But Adam had given over authority to mankind, to Satan, in a form of legal possession by consent through, if you want to get really legal, the representative agent for mankind, Adam. So what did the father do? First of all, he made a way where there was no way. He prophesied what the son would do. But he also set Satan up to defeat himself. He set Satan up to do exactly what needed to be done. And so when Satan inspired them to crucify Yeshua, who was an innocent victim, he was blameless, no sin. He defeated himself. When he manipulated the the blameless lamb without blemish, who was not in violation of the law, 
he became in violation of the law. He forfeited all his claims, all his rights, and all his authority, including any right to free himself. He lost the right to inflict sin and death upon us who became who become the property of Messiah by virtue of our appropriating his redemption for us. That's why getting people saved, healed, and delivered is so important. That should be your only priority. Larry and I talked about this today. So many people are caught up in so many distracting things that have nothing to do with what the Lord told us to do. Everything, every responsibility you and I have, everything I do for the kingdom, everything I do with SRT, everything I do as a man of God or through the porch or firefall is inspired and instigated by the cross, by the empty tomb, and by the upper room. Because the upper room gave us the power that we would need to enforce what the Lord had done. Now, we're not fighting for victory. We've already won. Calvary was once for all. But we're fighting an enemy that refuses to submit. An enemy that's still in control of this fallen world and the fallen world system. We were told to occupy, and we have not done that. And I'm going to say it right now, and you can write it down, put a date on it, put my name on it. That when that which is coming comes, the church at large will buckle and will fall back. And those that stand their ground, those that fight, those that push back, the remnant, will be like the guerrilla fighters, the resistance fighters in World War II. That's exactly what's going to happen. The church at large, I spoke to Pastor Shelley recently, 93 years old, and keep him in your prayers. He's having some health issues, but the Lord's not done with him yet. I asked him what the Lord is telling him about America. And he said the Lord's telling him exactly what he's told me. He's not going to intervene. We have made our choice. We are on a path, but he will protect his own. He also stated that he knew that the church at large was not ready for what was coming. And that's why he prays for me and Chris R.T. to get turned loose to help those that want to know. So the upper room gave us what we needed. So let's go back there again. I'm going to keep taking you back to this moment. Acts 1, where he meets with them on the Mount of Olives before he ascends. And being assembled together with them, this is verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they would come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority, but you shall receive power, the Greek word dunamis, when the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He didn't say that you would go take back the kingdoms. He didn't even say you would destroy the kingdom of darkness. He said that they would be witnesses to him. That's how we destroy the kingdom of darkness. That's how we destroy Hasatan. We plunder his kingdom one soul, one person at a time. And if each one of us did that and taught somebody else to do that, of course, it's the exponential explosion But no, the church is too busy having parties and concerts and gatherings. And we need to get out there. We need to do the job. Man is always like they are. They're always asking when. Oh, Lord, when are you going to do this? Instead of why and how. We want answers, not the responsibility that leads to action. So the first cost, the first price of the upper room 
experience is personal integrity, humility, and honesty. We're picking up from last week. Integrity will lead to honesty. Humility is having the integrity to know the truth about yourself. So what's the full definition of integrity? It means a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, honest and fair. It means being incorruptible. But it also is a soundness, an unimpaired condition, like a sword has integrity because the metal is good and the edge is sharp. It's not going to break. It's not going to fail. Soundness, wholeness, moral values, incorruptible, incorruptible, honorable, complete. And synonyms of integrity are honesty and unity. Unity. So what does the Bible say about integrity? Integrity means treating people fairly and honestly. Deuteronomy 25, 15. Always use honest weights and measures so that you may enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Clearly indicating, conversely, that dishonesty will cost you that long life in the land. Proverbs sixteen eleven through 13 A just balance and honest scales are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his concern, established by his eternal principles. It is repulsive to God and man for kings to behave wickedly. For a throne is established on righteousness, which is right standing with God. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and who who speaks right is loved. Integrity means giving your word and keeping it. I've touched on this many times over the years because I've been victim to it, and I'm not somebody that lives that way. If I give you my word, I've sworn to my own heart, I'll do whatever I said I'll do, even if it costs me physically or financially. But I meet too many people who call themselves born-again believers that have situational integrity, meaning their word is good as long as something else doesn't come along and makes them want to do something else. The concept of integrity will protect you in this fallen world. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 25, verse 21, King David prays for integrity and uprightness to protect him. He says, let integrity and uprightness protect me, for I wait expectantly for you. Proverbs 2, 7 through 8, he stores away sound wisdom for the righteous, those who are in right standing with him. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, those of honorable character and moral courage. He guards the path of justice. He preserves the way of his saints, his believers. Integrity is so valuable, it's more valuable than riches. Proverbs 28.6 It's better be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. And I'm going to tell you something right now, and you may not like it, you may not agree with it, it's not my problem. That's what the Word says. He's going to test your integrity. And what's amazing, he tested David's. David did a lot of things wrong. Things that he knew better. So his integrity wavered at times, but he always repented and made up for it. First Chronicles twenty nine seventeen. David says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know, I've done all this with good motives, and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. The Lord hates a lack of integrity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Therefore, if he's the spirit of truth, he's the spirit of righteousness, holiness, honesty, integrity, humility, he's all, all the fruits of the Spirit. Every character and aspect of the Lord is transferred to us by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah eight sixteen and 17. These are the things which you should do. 
speak the truth with one another. Judge truth and pronounce the judgment that brings peace in the courts at your gates. And let none of you devise or even imagine evil in your heart against another. And do not love lying or half-truths, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The Lord hates lying. And he understands it may be difficult to maintain your integrity. We know from Job chapter 2, we have two aspects that made it difficult for Job, even though he's continued and passed the test. We know that Satan was looking to incite Job against the Lord and destroy him without cause and test his integrity. And then we know later on in chapter 2 of Job, verse 9, whether his own wife says to him, do you still cling to your integrity and your faith and trust in God without blaming him? Curse God and die. There's a war for your integrity. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for your character. We see it in movies. We see it in media. We see it in politics. We see it in ministry. So many people, unrighteous people without integrity, who seem to prosper. Well, part of that reason is 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits, good morals. Your character will be corrupted by bad company. Who you surround yourself with, who you do business with, who you have relationships with, those are the people that are going to influence you. It's better to be alone than be with people that are going to lead you down a dark road. But honesty and integrity will be rewarded. Psalm 41, 11 and 12, By this I know that you favor and delight in me, because my enemy does not shout and triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. You cannot approach the Lord. You cannot enter his courts. You cannot stand on his holy hill if you have no integrity, if you're a liar, if you're a thief, if you're a deceiver. First, I don't know how you could. I don't know how the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit wouldn't just overwhelm you and take you to your knees. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, God is speaking to Solomon. As for you, if you will walk, if you'll live your life before me as David your father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, acting in accordance with everything that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and precepts, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying, you shall not be without a man or descendant on the throne of Israel. And unfortunately, Solomon had some of the same problems his father did. He turned back at the end of his life, but he set some things in motion that cost him dearly. But most of all, your integrity will be an example to others. People have seen so many phony Christians, phony born-again believers who speak the word but don't live it. Titus 2.7 And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. What if each and every one of us that claim to be believers would show that to the world? I've talked about this, both my wife and I are this way. Sometimes you'll miss something in your cart while shopping and you'll roll out there and suddenly see it in the corner. We always go back in and pay for it. Most people would say, oh, that's just a dollar or two dollars. They, they got their losses covered. I remember one time going back in and the woman looked at me and says, wow, thank, thank you for coming back. And I said, 
why wouldn't I? First of all, it's the right thing to do. Second of all, I'm not going to give Satan access to me for a 2 or $3 item. She kind of looked at me. But the Lord is always setting the example of how we are to live. If you look at Luke 16 in the parable of the unjust steward, he tells them he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous, dishonest in a very little thing, is unrighteous and dishonest also in much. Then he caps it all off with the, the core of the problem. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We must have complete love and devotion to only one master. That's our Heavenly Father and the Lord who died for us. But that also means integrity in our relationship with Him. Spiritual adultery is the opposite of integrity. The interesting thing about Luke 16, the parable of the unjust steward, is the Pharisees were listening. And if you look at verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided Him. They sneered at Him. They ridiculed Him. Why? Because in the Pharisee mindset, wealth was commonly believed to be a reward from God. Yet he was deriding, and they were deriding him because he was warning about the riches of this world. Let me say that again, and you apply it wherever you want to. Wealth, according to the Pharisees, was believed to be a reward from God, no matter how you got it. Yet Yeshua was saying just the opposite. But when he talks about mammon, which in the Greek form of a Syriac or an Aramaic word for money, riches, poverty, worldly goods, or profit, he was speaking, I believe, and I believe the Lord has showed me about an actual entity. But an entity who influenced us is to seek riches. It's the personification of an evil spirit or deity. From about 1500, it's been in the current English indicating the evil influence of wealth. But it's not a word that's used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament, Matthew 6, Luke 16. He mentions it in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he'll also be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot be a slave of God and a slave to worldly wealth at the same time. Now, that's not to say he can't give you wealth. It's what you do with that wealth that decides who you are serving. But the undivided concentration of your mind to money is the antithesis of God. It will interfere with your devotion to him and your service to him. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mammon is wealth. It's money, it's property. You can't serve it and serve him. If he gives you the kind of money that we're praying for, You better hold on to it loosely and let it flow where he wants it to flow and not into your bank account, not into big mansions, not into living a high lifestyle. Excuse me. He gives it to us to serve him, to further his kingdom. Well, in praying one day, and we were talking about mammon, the Lord gave me revelation. I believed it was an actual entity. And he showed me the Greek god of wealth is Plutus. And it's where we get the word plutocracy. A system of government which the wealthy rule. And yes, we have it. During the Middle Ages, Mammon was a demon of gluttony, riches, and injustice. 
So in praying, we have prayed against Plutus Mammon as an actual entity, as one who will deceive you with the riches. Almost every man or woman who serves the Lord that falls, falls in one of two places, sexual sin or financial sin. Very powerful, very dangerous. In the Divine Comedy Dante wrote in the early 1300s, Plutus was a wolf-like demon of wealth coming up from hell to ensnare the person. Thomas Aquinas said it inflames the human heart with greed. So here's what the Lord was saying in the parable of the unjust steward in Luke 16. He was saying, if I give you wealth, if I give you this money, what are you going to do with it? What's the use for it? And I'll I'll tell you another thing. Having been in ministry, having been on church boards, having been behind the scenes, don't get fooled by what you see. Don't get fooled and believe, well, that person must be doing right because they're flying a jet or their building is so big or they run these programs. Not everything is as you see because it's his business, it's kingdom business that we should be focused on. We don't need buildings. Would it be nice to have a jet to fly anywhere we need to go? Yeah, but you know what? I wouldn't own a jet. Here's what I would do. I'd invest in a charter company so that I had access to one, but those jets made money and brought money into the kingdom so that when we needed one, we could afford one. See, the, the, the unjust steward was not good with what the master gave him. We need to be good stewards about of his money. We need to be good stewards with what he's doing. But the only way we can do that is through the internal presence of the Holy Spirit, which is why I have a problem with people who take advantage of the flock and do what they do and live the lifestyles they live, who at one time seem to have the Spirit in their lives, have they become so hardened and so greedy that the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit no longer touches them? I don't know. But I do know this, John 14, verses 17 and 26. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take it to heart, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you and continually will be in you. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, the Intercessor, the parakletos, that's where the word from, strengthener, the standby, whom the Father will send in my name, the Lord said, in my place will represent me and act on his behalf. He will teach you all things, and he will help you to remember everything that I've told you, says the Lord. How do people get so far off? They stop listening. John 16, verses 7 and 14. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. He will glorify and honor me because he will take what is mine and disclose it to you. I sincerely believe the helper, the parakletos, if he's walking alongside of us, if he's speaking and we're hearing, then we're not going to make that mistake. But see, that's why Satan won't come at you or his kingdom won't come at you in a power confrontation. They'll come at you with deception. They'll get a thought in your head, hey, you deserve it. After all these years of struggling and suffering, you deserve that money. You deserve that vehicle. You deserve that big house. You can write it off. It's a tax write-off. Everything has got to go through the filter of the Lord. People, and I'm, I'm going to say this and forgive me, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I really am not. Anyone 
who is deceitful, unscrupulous, who steals money, who manipulates money, who does unrighteous business deals, either no longer has the spirit in him or never did. You cannot be dishonest. You cannot steal from people, especially family or people that you're in ministry with. You cannot do the things that some people do and be in right relationship with the Lord. I do not believe it because stewardship is a matter of spiritual integrity. It's the responsibility to manage all resources of the life for the of life for the glory of God, acknowledging him as your provider. The meaning of stewardship In the New Testament, as a believer, you become a house manager for God in this world. The one thing that I always struggled with when we were in churches and I was either on the board or um, had access to behind the scenes was that more money was spent internally than went out. People were hungry. People couldn't pay their rent. We were in that position for a little while when we first got to Orlando. And and the place we went to, they helped us out once. And then they didn't want to help us out anymore. But the people in the home church we were worshiping with, they helped us out. They gave us food. They got us through a rough patch. That's the book of Acts Church. But stewardship, which really began with Adam and Eve when he gave them authority over the world and what they were supposed to do and be good stewards of his creation, really comes into clear picture in the New Testament that we have stewardship of everything he provides for us. It all belongs to him and therefore must be used for his purposes and his glory. And there is a collective responsibility given to us to not just have dominion over the earth, but to care for it, manage it for his glory. And we have not been good stewards of his creation. So whether it's financial resources, real property, anything we have belongs to him. And any time he may do with it as he wills. And, surprisingly enough, he expects you from what he gives you for you to bless him. I don't make a big deal out of tithes, gifts, and offerings. I just don't. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to take scripture out of context. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it because the Holy Spirit has inspired you. That if I've fed you, if I've done anything spiritually to help you, then you'll do what the word says to do be a cheerful giver don't give begrudgingly or with your teeth grinding but every day we are to be feeding and functioning his kingdom not ministries who have built monstrosities to their own egos and definitely not preachers and teachers and ministries that are taken over by greed Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary said greed is excessive is the excessive or reprehensible desire to acquire its covetousness. We see it in Eli's sons in 1 Samuel 2 where they enjoyed the sin sacrifices that were given to them in the priesthood. They celebrated these things. Look at First Samuel two, verse twenty-nine, when the Lord is rebuking Samuel. Why do you quick kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? They were fattening themselves with the choicest parts of the offering. They were celebrating when people, in effect, they were prospering when the people sinned. I could really go off here, but the Holy Spirit just stopped me. Hosea condemned the priests who were greedy. 
Hosea 4, 8, they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. They feed on the offering. And I don't understand it. Maybe somebody explained to me. How can somebody who know and love the Lord can prosper and celebrate on people's misfortune? How can they manipulate them to give offerings that they know will break them? Yeshua warned against this type of behavior in Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Paul did the same. First Thessalonians two five, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. First Timothy three verses two and three A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, and not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Later on in verses eight and nine, deacons must be reverent not double-tongued, not given to much wine, greedy for money, or holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. In Ephesians 4, Paul really touches on the Gentile or the pagan way of life. Folks, this is the world we live in. And if you really want to serve him, and if you really want to be free from the unending attacks from the enemy... Now, we're going to get attacked. There's going to be a resistance. There's going to be a warfare. But you want to be in right relationship. You don't want the enemy to have anything in you. You don't want him to have any ground in your life. Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting verse 17, This I say, and therefore testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned, you have not so learned in Messiah, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Yeshua that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We cannot do what we've been called to do unless we set our mind, our heart, our soul, and our spirit on things above. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whether it's, whatever is lovely or of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Your mind should dwell on the things of heaven and not on the things of this world. Even your thoughts must have integrity, and that will only happen through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and that you are living, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If we're going to have the effect he needs us to have. If we're going to do the work that he's calling us to do, we need to be circumspect. We need to take a hard look at our lives and the choices we make. If you're still dancing with the devil, if you're still dancing with this world and the things of this world, if you're still playing the games or the videos, or you're going the places that the enemy is and the Holy Spirit is not, then you are fair game. And I'll even say coldly, you deserve what happens to you. And hopefully it'll drive you back. Drive you back into his arms, into his presence. You need to get out of the world. 
You need to stop being like the world. The world needs to start to offend you. The ways of this world, the things of this world need to offend you. The spirit inside of you. So I'm going to pray right now as we close out that the Holy Spirit inside of you, first of all, by the fire of the Holy Spirit, would purge you and burn up anything that's in you that's not of him. Any place that draws your eyes or your heart or your mind that's not of the kingdom of God, I pray the Holy Spirit will point out to you and consume it in its holy fire. I pray that you would be prepared and ready for the days ahead. Make sure your armor is not only on, but clean. No dents, no openings. That your sword is sharp, that your heart is right. That the integrity of the Holy Spirit that began in the upper room, that the Holy Spirit that the Book of Acts Church manifested and exemplified would become a part of your life. So, Father, I pray right now, for your sons and your daughters, and for me. Search us. Search our hearts. If there's anything in us that is not of you, point it out so that we can let it go and repent, and you take it from us. That you'd empower us, that we would walk in uprightness, righteousness, integrity, honesty, and humility. That we would be living witnesses in a fallen world of the way things should be done. That we would not come into agreement with those things which you say are wrong and are of the kingdom of darkness. That just like you, Lord, your convicting presence through the Holy Spirit in us would inspire people to change like you did with Zacchaeus spontaneously repented and offered to pay back even more than he took from people because he met you. I pray we'd have more events like that. Make us ready. Empower us. Fill us with your love. Let us be rooted and grounded in that love for you and for your children and for one another and for the lost and the dying. And I pray that the person that may not know you or may not have the intimacy I speak of, would come to know you in that way, come to know you as Abba Father, as Papa, as Daddy. Make you Lord of their life. Leave the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of this world and come completely into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of His, of his love. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh. Hopefully you can hear the love in my voice. If I ever get all these videos caught up, you'd be able to see me say them. That's part of the prayer of getting healthier and getting better. But hear it in my voice. His love for you, his children. Walk in it. Embrace it. Make it yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.